Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So I'm not even going to spend a lot of time uh, introducing today's guest because there's so much I want to talk about. I want to make sure we get it all in. But uh, mainly her latest book, uh, some of you have probably seen, if you clicked on our link today, you saw uh, a book entitled Attention Span, A Groundbreaking Way to Restore Balance, Happiness, and Productivity. So today's guest is the Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at the University of California in Irvine, um, got a PhD from Columbia in psychology, and has been writing, writing, writing. She's published over 200 articles and has just been widely recognized for her work. Um, and so I'm delighted, and I just want to welcome uh, Gloria Mark um, today. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and and so I, you know, I want to thank you um, also for sending me a copy of your book. And as I mentioned, I just put like closed the final page today, turned that final page today, this just this morning, um, attention span, uh, the title of your book, um, and. I, I know we can't give it all away, but I, I'm, first, I just want to say to people who are interested in the topic and, and thinking about their own productivity and, and the research that's out there about uh, the way we work and the way we um, uh, are distracted sometimes, uh, this, this is not just a book about being productive on the job in front of the computer, but really thinking about the way we live. So... Um, but first, I was really struck by the, in your introduction, you talked about how you went from being a visual artist to being a psychologist and, and that it almost didn't happen. Um, I know that you had a fellowship at the British Arts Council. So tell me, expand a little bit on that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that happened and what, uh, what some of the the thoughts were that went through your mind when you uh, when you changed and shift from from art, and I, I I don't think I want to say shifted, but I guess more that uh, your decision to um, to to have a different um, job, so to speak, your day to day job. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. So so I did study fine art. I I have a bachelor of fine arts degree. Never thought I would do anything else. I, I was very mm. passionate about art. Um, just just loved it. Loved loved doing art. Um, but then after I graduated, the the reality set in of what it's mm-hmm. like to make a living as an artist. And yes. I saw some of the most talented people who were you know they had day jobs doing something else to support their art. Uh, in the evenings and on weekends. And I just wasn't, you know, I said to myself, I, I can't do that. I, I need to have a job 
during the day that I can put 1,000% in. And the the question was, what what do I do? (laughs) If I can't Mm -hmm. do art, what can I do? Um, So I I was um, good at math and science, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do something with that. Uh, Long story short, um, I worked as a research assistant to a professor who worked in an area called information science. I I had never heard of this field, had no clue what it was, but he was interested in the fact that I studied art, and he said, do you think you could um, write about the discovery process that Mm. artists go through? Mm. And I thought, of course I can. I know know what that is. Uh, The the problem is I, I didn't know how to write about it in scholarly terms. So I began reading a lot of cognitive psychology, and uh, and then I was able to write about it, and that was the sort of the pathway that got me very interested in psychology, and and that's when I went to Columbia and did my PhD in psychology. Hmm. Yes, that uh, that's fascinating. Uh, that 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 pivot, if you will, uh, a lot of people uh, find themselves, I mean, it, it was a surprise to me to read that when you said you were involved in art and you said you were really good at math. Um, and a lot of times we don't think of artists as mathematicians or scientists. And I, you know, but I've more so now I've seen more and more where there are these other skills and talents that exist that seem to go from two different hemispheres of the brain and people like yourself who good in one area and excel in, in what our right brain and what we view as right brain um, skills and then left brain also very, very talented. So that's, that's great. Um, I also was struck in your book, uh, that you talked about a little bit about the physical world and the virtual world and how I, it, what for me now it just feels like some of that has been put on the back burner and I'm, I'm not sure maybe it's just me um, but um, I remember during um, you know kind of the height of COVID I remember thinking, ah, this is going to really take off now because people are at home and there's going to be a lot of of people who are, um, especially I thought about the the virtual reality glasses or headwear. And I just thought, oh, here goes. This is this is the start uh, of the matrix, so to speak. And <laughs> and and so then we emerged from COVID and it seems like there's not that much talk about the metaverse and even the company that seemed to have had kind of a, a head start on developing uh, didn't go very far and they've even reduced some of their, uh, some of their um, uh, efforts. Uh, and so I just, it just, I don't know. I don't know what happened to it, but I just remember. Um, so I'm the director of a program that is a uh, on the ground master's degree program. And they, our students 
come for five very intense weeks. They're in class from uh, 8 o'clock in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. And during COVID, of course, we had to uh, adapt that to be in person and online. And I mean, not in person, but initially online, uh, completely online. And then we went to a hybrid model uh, in the second year. But that first year, uh, it was very difficult to be online for that amount of time. And, and I don't know as much of is if it was that the students lost they didn't have the the ability to focus or whatever but i guess my question for you is how healthy viable or sustainable is it um for people to spend that kind of time all day uh, in front of screens is it because we don't have the technology that makes it easier to do it or is it is it just that it's just not natural and we're not going to be able to do it? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so it's it's such a great point. Um, it's not natural for us. I mean, we're 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 humans and we're meant to be moving around in the environment. And when when you're sitting in front of a screen for a long period of time, you know, we we lose that sense of um, proprioception, you know, awareness of how our body moves in space. You know, we're focusing on this, this two-dimensional screen. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some research that I've done shows that, um, and this was done actually in 2019 before the pandemic, shows that people who are in office, who work in offices, spend about 90% of their days sedentary. That's that's not hap- healthy at all. Right, they, they are right. in front of their their screens. So you know we've um, we've come to this point where um, you know we spend a, a really long chunk of our day sedentary, sitting in front of our screens, um, and our attention, of course, shifts between screens, which. My research shows we, we average about 47 seconds on any screen before mm. switching. It's an average. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's longer. Sometimes it's it's shorter. So, um, you know, and, and this idea of the metaverse, I I was I found it very intriguing because it's not a new idea at all. In in the 1990s, there were um, there were metaverses. They, they were smaller versions of what, you know, has recently been envisioned as this all-encompassing metaverse. But there mm-hmm. were these smaller metaverses. They, they were called um, graphical visual environments. And, um, and if anyone remembers, there was something called online traveler, which was a wonderful environment. But people oh. used to go into those environments and interact and move around. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, hardly any of them ever stayed, you know, became really successful. Right. Some right. people may remember Second Life, um, yes. but yes. They, they, people didn't stay in these environments. And, and I think the reason is because they just can't simulate what we experience in real life. And, you know, people just prefer being part of the real world 
But unfortunately, <laughs> we may not be stuck in front of inside of a metaverse, but we do seem to be glued to our screens. Right. And from a, a psychological perspective, though, that you, you mentioned one second life, and um, I knew some people that I, that had um, kind of dabbled in that. I don't know if it's still around or not, but I heard tales of people who, as soon as they got home from kind of their real job and real work, they come home and immerse themselves in this other place, which was a second life. And that's where they would be until very late at night, early in the morning, and then get up and do it all over again. But that their life was really the life was in this virtual space. And so from a psychological perspective, do you, did you do or do you know of any research about being split? So one, living life all in one place online, but or even splitting your worlds like some of these people did. You had the virtual world and then you had the real world. What what does that do to one uh, one psychological health? I know you, I mean, you mentioned that we're meant to be moving around. And so I think of that more from a physical standpoint. Um, certainly all kinds of problems come up um, to come to mind physically. Uh, but what does that do to one? Because some people say that they'd rather be alone. They they feel that they are um, uh, intended to be by, uh, by by themselves and not not interacting with a lot of people. But how healthy is that to to split and be in these different realities? Yeah. So I mean, overall, it's. Um, I, I would say it's not healthy. It, it gives people a chance to try out different identities. Yes. So a person may not enjoy the identity they have in real life, but when they go into one of these worlds, one of these simulated environments, it gives them a chance to inhabit a new kind of identity. And, you know, there there have been a number of studies about that. For example, a person may be disabled in real life, but when they go into one of these online environments, it gives them a chance to experience life as a person who's who's not disabled. Mm-hmm. So, so there can be some very positive aspects about experiencing different kinds of identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it becomes problematic when a person... Uh, loses touch with their identity in the real world, mm-hmm. and they place too much of an emphasis on their identity in in the online world. If if being in the online world can help them learn and cope and develop new skills that they could then apply in real life, then I would say it's it's very positive. Mm-hmm. But we you know we also know that a lot of people spend um enormous amount of time in online gaming environments. Right. Yes. And yes. uh and that's that's not very healthy. Uh you know, some people are, are quite extreme in the number of hours that they spend. And um you know, it's I understand it's it's exciting and some of these environments are collaborative, but um when it when it detracts 
and takes away from people's ability to to live life in the real world then then it's uh you know it's not a good thing right well and i I just wonder also about generationally how much more it is acceptable or just kind of a native way of being to uh, the the younger, let's say, 25 and under now, um, maybe even younger than that, 20 and under. Um, I remember some years ago, I, I was sitting watching my great nephew play a video game, and I just kind of quietly looked in the we were in at my mother's home and and I watched over his shoulder as he went into what was a virtual closet and spent probably 15 minutes trying to decide what he was going to put on his avatar and then mm-hmm. he went and went to this virtual two-dimensional uh basketball court and waited on his friends to arrive um, who lived across town. They arrived and they, they played a game of pickup basketball virtually. And after he finished, I said, so everything you just did, we used to do when I was a kid, except (laughs) we did it in person. So I, I remember struggling to figure out what, what Jersey I was going to wear and then went up, you know, three blocks, but we did it in, in person. And and so it was just so natural for all of them with the headsets and what have you. Uh, are we missing? Are we missing something that that it's just the way they're wired now? Um, because I I know that um, with my own children, I have I've I've watched them, uh, and this kind of goes to some of the things that you said in the book about multitasking and and being focused. But I remember also uh, my youngest daughter, I used to kind of fuss and battle with her about um, not watching or not having TV on or these, these playing, streaming these shows uh, that were in syndication, streaming them while she was doing her homework. And the only rationale I had was because you won't remember the things you need to remember. And if you do remember, uh, your grades are not going to be good or all that. So that was was the rationale I had. But it failed because she's a straight A student, did very well, very sociable, all of that. But I just stopped fighting it because I didn't know what else to say um, other than you needed, like, you shouldn't do that. Um, and I didn't have a good rationale. So what might we offer to parents of today's uh, teens that are, are often splitting their time and multitasking is just the way they, it seems as though they came into this world multitasking. Yeah, so it's it's definitely uh it's a challenge for for young people to to not spend an uh exorbitant amount of time online be- because there's peer pressure their their friends are online. But I think it's a lot healthier for uh young people to experience in-person interactions 
you know, when when you're online, and especially if the communication channel is is very limited to say text uh, or or even audio, you're they're, young people are missing out on social cues that right, are so right. important in in guiding us how to interact. They're they're missing out on emotional information. And you know, when people interact in person, especially young people, they they learn from these experiences. They they learn about social interaction, and you know they're they're slowly developing. Uh, really, young kids. Uh, have problems because there's a part of the mind called executive function, which is not fully mature yet for for young kids. And then they're they're going online, and of course they're tempted by so many possible distractions that uh, you know it's they don't have the self regulation skills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that someone older has. So so it's not good for kids. So I say. It's very important to limit screen time for kids. And, you know, not just computer and phone screen time, but, you know, television and film screen time. And, you know, kids need to learn uh, to experience the, the real world. And they need to experience how to have an actual conversation. Right. Um, because right. I, I fear where our kids are losing the ability really have a, a deep conversation with someone that yes. that only being in person can really enable through through the use of emotion and social cues yes. and yes. Um, all kinds of information. Oh yes, what you said really resonates with me um, because I've I've seen um, where young young people miss those cues, um, but don't really understand at times. And of course, this is not a blanket statement for all of them, but a great number of them uh, don't have the ability to pick up on what would be the emotional, the emotional cues that are that comes from uh, someone responding positively or negatively, or, and they also struggle to respond in ways so that people either know that you're listening or that you agree, um, but that, that emote um, function uh, doesn't, do, doesn't happen. And I think what you just said is a big part of it. Um, you mentioned the, the distraction piece and that uh, in some cases they are distracted. Is there any such thing though as a healthy distraction or or a planned distraction that that could help you get back on task if you take a break. D- does that help, or does it hurt when you when you say I'm going to stop doing this for a while and then come back to it? I know you addressed it a little bit in your book, um, but what what it what is enough or too much? Yeah. So that's that's a really important point. So I, I I'm not sure I would call it distraction, but I would say uh, taking a break is mm-hmm. so extremely important. Now, you know, some people think. In fact, there is this this narrative that's that's often being pushed that we should try to focus 
as long as possible nonstop. In fact, I, I recently was looking on the web and I see I see books and I see blogs and there's you know, you see so much of this narrative about let's try to achieve nonstop focus. Let's try to focus for ten hours. And oh. you know, I, I read these and I think you know, people have limited attentional resources. There, there's, it's not possible for people to have extended periods of focus in, in the same way that we can't lift weights all day without getting exhausted. Right. We, we need to step back. We need to take a break. Um, the, the author, Maya Angelou, talked about having big mind and little mind. And her big mind was what she used for deep thought. And her little mind was what she used to kind of step away and and give her mind a rest. And she would do crossword puzzles or play solitaire. So these were simple, easy activities, but very engaging. And we find in my research that this kind of what I call rotativity it can be very calming. And, and it actually makes people happy. Mm-hmm. And so it's not bad to take a break and do some kind of road activity, let your mind rest. Of course, the, the best break of all is to go outside and take a 20-minute walk in nature. Mm-hmm. We, know, we know that that's absolutely the best. People become de-stressed. Um, I've done research showing that people's divergent thinking improves. That divergent thinking is thinking of more ideas and better quality ideas. So being outside is absolutely the best. If you can't, then, you know, move around inside. And and it's not bad to do some kind of road activity when you've got a short period of time. Um, but be strategic. You know, don't get yourself caught in a rabbit hole. Right. Um, but spend a few minutes and set a timer if you need to. But, you know, make sure that you can pull out and, and get back to your task at hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for that. And you you read my mind when you you introduced this idea of a rabbit hole because you also talked a little bit about that. And I wonder... Uh, and have wondered about how a lot of these social media, the social media successes, if you think about initially Twitter limited you to, I think it was like 240 characters that, you know, say it quickly, move on. So nothing could be extensive uh, other than people having multiple tweets uh, that TikTok at least initially was 30 seconds or 20 seconds and so forth. And so you just scroll and keep moving to the next thing. And, and, but these rabbit holes that you go down that are, that, that before used to be just you click and then you see something else and you click again. And I think you mentioned three hours later, you are still looking. And and it looks like no no time has gone by. Um, that's that's a real different take on um, what uh, Chick Mahi said about flow. That's a very different 
idea. But I, do you consider that a kind of focus? Is when you're in these in these zones of of looking at these twenty second snippets and three hours later, is that would that be considered flow focus? Uh, it's 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 not flow. It it is a kind of focus. I would call it more rote kind of attention because you're mm. you're engaged and, and you're not putting in a lot of mental effort. For for someone to have a flow experience, they they really need to have the right balance of using a skill and being challenged by it. If if you're challenged too much then you're not going to be in flow. If you're not challenged enough, you'll mm-hmm. be a little bit bored, but they're the right amount. So be, being you know, being on TikTok is not being in flow. Watching a Netflix show is not being in flow. When, gotcha. when I used to do art, yes, I would regularly get into flow and, uh. and challenge myself. People who do rock climbing or play sports or play music or do woodworking, even people who do complex coding can can get into flow. But mm. it's it's not something that happens often. And, you know, people whose whose main job is doing some kind of knowledge work or information work, generally um it's not realistic to think about getting into flow because um we, we do analytical work like myself i i i use focus in my work if i'm writing and searching for the right words um and that's not necessarily flow when i want to get into flow i mm-hmm. i can go back to my art or there are other things that i can do and even even maya angelo talked about it she said that when she writes you know she really struggles and, you know, she really has to spend a lot of effort in, in looking just for the right words. It's mm-hmm. um, She doesn't describe being in flow, but she describes really working hard and, and being focused. Yeah, that I, and I've, I, I, I can say, and I think whether or not it is a, a athlete or a a person who is writing or an artist that that challenge that you come to um certainly is a significant part of it i've i've had an experience with that and and it makes a lot of sense what you're saying um i you know i it it is we're already to the point where we we're at the end here but i i do want to uh, again, for those of you who may have joined a little later, um, I'm talking with uh, Dr. Gloria Mark, who has a, an amazing book, Attention Span, A Groundbreaking Way to Restore Balance, Happiness, and Productivity. I do want to just take just a couple minutes because there's more and more talk about the construct of happiness itself. And so can you just say a little bit about that in the context of the book? Because I, I, as a part of what we're also doing in our leadership preparation program is to have people consider happiness as a reasonable outcome for their career goals. So uh, please tell me, as, as in attention span, 
what what is the significance of happiness? Oh, I I love that uh, idea of happiness as an outcome. You know, there's um, there's so much pressure for people to be productive and to pack as much as they possibly can into their day, you know, produce as much as they can. Um, but what happens is that well-being and happiness get neglected. And, and I'd like to reframe this conversation, and I'd like us to put well-being first. Okay. You know, I've studied people for so long, and they report how exhausted and stressed they are when they use their devices. Let's, let's put an emphasis of striving for well-being, because if that can be your goal, uh, you will be productive along the way. When people feel positive, when people have good well-being, they, can, they have a larger repertoire of actions that they can take, and they can, they can do things as opposed to being exhausted and having no attentional resources left to, to use um, for doing work. So let's put the emphasis on well-being first, and, and that means, you know, not being stressed and, um, and being fulfilled and rewarded in, in what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for that. That Excellent. Um, so tell us, I know there's a number of people who would love to um, hear more about the work that you're doing. Where can they find you, follow you? I know you're on LinkedIn, um, but you have any other social media, media handles? Um, uh, where other, I, I know you have this book. Do you have any others you'd like to share at this time? Yeah, so you can also uh, find me on Twitter, and it's uh, Gloria Mark PhD. Uh, and you can also go to my website at www.gloriamark.com. So it's all one word, lowercase, Gloria Mark. And you can learn more about the book. You can sign up for a newsletter, uh, learn a little bit more about my work. Um, I, I do have a lot of academic papers, <laughs> but I think the the book is is a nice summary of oh, a lot absolutely. of the work that that I've done. No, absolutely, and a, a real uh, smooth uh, read that uh, it, it's not it's not terribly heady or anything like that. I, I was just so uh, uh, taken by some of your your sections about their sections. So those of you who may be interested, uh, sections like social power influences our attention online. Um, that one, that section, um, and how media affects our attention. Um, so thank you uh, for that. And I, again, I really appreciate you uh, bring bringing this to my attention. I had read a a quick article that you wrote. Uh, that not wasn't so much an excerpt from the book, but talking about attention span. And immediately I said, "Oh, I, I have to talk to her because this is this is a, a topic that I think a lot of people would benefit from." And so I, you have my um, kind of unqualified uh, endorsement for this book um, for leaders that are out there listening. This is re- there's some really good. 
uh, information here that um, you can share with with your organizations and individuals uh, that you come in contact with. And so, Gloria, thank you so much for this conversation. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I learned a lot from you today, and I'm sure people who kind of eavesdropped on our conversation did too. Uh, just wishing you great success with your research um, and future projects, and I'll be listening and reading, um, I'm sure, well into the future of your work. Um, so um, hopefully at some point I'll get the chance to um, see and hear you talk in person. Um, but until then, just uh, wishing you well. Go well. Stay well. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. Thank you.